Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner from Zion Hebraic Congregation. Today's Shabbat message is by Warren Tanner. It's from Luke chapter 23, and the title is Not Seeing What's Right in Front of Us. Uh, you can check us out on our website for more uh, blogs and articles and Shabbat messages as well that are up there, zionhebraiccongregation.com. Uh, also, you'll see the links to our social media sites as well, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and All right, so let's turn this morning to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. So, as happens, and you know, for some reason I get stuck. You know, I'm reading through the Bible, and <laughs> for whatever reason, a passage will just really grab a hold of me. And I don't, at the time, know why, but it's like, I can't leave it, so I spend days after day after day after day reading the same passage of Scripture. And that's what happened with me for this last week plus probably now. And, and, I, and I never know why that happens other than I'm just having a good time. I think there's stuff here to see, and I don't know. I can't explain it. So what I want to do today is we're going to look at uh, Luke 23 starting at verse 39, and hopefully be able to make it through chapter 24. So, um, we'll do what we can here. I'm entitling this, and Torn, you can change it if you think of something better, not seeing what's right in front of us. Not seeing what's right in front of us. <laughs> now, those of us in this Hebraic Messianic movement, we, we understand that all of us, not all of a sudden, but through a process of God maybe working in our hearts. I hate labeling saying God's working in our heart because that implies anybody who listens to this who's not where we are, I'm saying God's not working in your heart. And that's not what I mean. But I don't know how to say it. It seems like God works, was working in our hearts. And then we started to see stuff in the scripture that was there all the time, but we just didn't see it. Right. We understand that now. We, we didn't see really the Shabbat. We didn't see keeping the feast. We didn't see wearing tzitzit. We didn't see keeping the dietary uh, uh, instructions like we see it now as something that we should actually participate in and be a part of. Um, and so as I was reading and rereading and reading, it seemed to me that in this passage, that's kind of what was going on here. And when I get to the heart of where I want to be, you, you, you'll see it more. But I, I've broken this down sort of in a rough outline. I'll give it to you. But with this mindset of seeing, not seeing what's right in front of us. So in verses uh, uh, 39 through 45, we have the thief on the cross, right? Well, the two thieves. We, one sees Yeshua for what he is. The other one doesn't. So the one saw, the other didn't see what was right in front of him. 
All right, so that's the thief. Then you have the centurion, that's 23, 46 through 49. He saw, but evidently those around did not see what he saw, though it was right in front of them. He knew, truly this is a righteous man. Well, not everybody else saw that. Um, Pilate, 23, verses 50 through 53. He's got Yeshua right in front of him and he's like blinded to who and what he is. He's seeing, he's not seeing what's right in front of him. Uh, the Sabbath, chapter 23, verses 54 through 56. And I'll highlight that a little bit. But, you know, the Sabbath, from, I'm taking it now out of the context of in that time, but now the Sabbath. You know, why is it we see the Sabbath now and we didn't before? It was right there in front of us the whole time, but now we see it. All right, then let's see. Uh, 24, 1 through 14, you have the empty tomb. Well, that whole thing is being played out right in front of them, but yet they're still missing it. They're still not seeing what's going on right before them in relation to the fact that Yeshua's risen from the dead. He's not dead. He's alive. They, they have to be instructed. He's not dead. He's living. Why do you seek the dead among the living? He's not here. Remember, he said he's going to go before you to Galilee. Well, they didn't see it. They, did, they couldn't see it. Um, then you have the guys. And this is what started all this for me. The two guys walking on the road to Emmaus. Well, Yeshua pops up right alongside of them. They don't see it immediately. They don't see him, even though he's right there for who and what he was. They miss it. Then you have the Jerusalem disciples. That's 24, 36 through 45. They're all in the hubbub about, oh, yeah, no, you guys are crazy. No, blah, 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 blah. And there's this hubbub going amongst the group here. It's like, you people are nuts. Don't tell us this. We know he's not. He, he's dead. And then finally, chapter 26, 46 through 53, everybody gets it, at least in, in this story. So that's kind of the mentality I want to bring us into as we go through this. And, and then I'm just going to kind of just talk about it. You know, we're going to read through it and I'm going to talk as we go along. So um, 20, uh, chapter 23 and starting at verse 39. Um, and one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If you are Messiah, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing, that, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And so the one out of the two turns and says, uh, Yeshua, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Yeshua said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. You know, I think it's interesting, this darkness. I, I don't know specifically, but to me, it was like one of the times when I was reading this, like almost God saying, all right, you, men love darkness rather than light. Let me give you a foretaste of what it's really like if I decide to just remove myself away. You want darkness? I'll give you darkness. And God gives them a supernatural darkness that they have to deal with and wonder what is going on here. Now, a couple of things here. Um, 
remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I had a great note here, and I'll just read to you. It's just brief. Life Application Bible had a, a wonderful note. And this, again, furthered my perspective of where I wanted to go. They say the dying criminal, this is so good. He, they contrast the dying criminal with the apostles and the followers of Yeshua that knew him. The dying criminal had more faith than the rest of Jesus's followers put together. Although the disciples continued to love Jesus, their hopes for the kingdom were shattered. Most of them had gone into hiding. And one of his followers said two days later, we'll get to it, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. By contrast, the criminal looked at the man dying next to him and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. By all appearances, the kingdom was finished. How awe-inspiring is the faith of this man who alone saw beyond the present shame to the coming glory. I thought that was just so good. You can't see that stuff, though it's right in front of you, unless God somehow opens up your eyes of understanding to see it. Here you have, I just love it. It says, although the disciples continued to love Jesus, their hopes for the kingdom were shattered. shattered. Most of them gone into hiding. And then one of these, we're going to see in a minute, says, we thought he was a guy that was going to come and liberate us. But the criminal looks at him and says, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. And I loved how they ended. How inspire, awe-inspiring is the faith of this one man alone who saw beyond the present shame to the coming glory. See, I want to see what God has for me to see like this guy on the cross did at that moment in time. And let's see. Now, another, now verse 43, and, and I find this very comforting, and this, this is just a personal thing for me, and you might, might not be touched like me. But verse 43, and, and Yeshua said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now this thing of paradise, you know, what is it? I've, there's all kinds of theories and, and whatnot about that. I, I think, and I found one note, but there's others that I found that say basically the same thing. And let me just read you this note. It's by A.T. Robertson. He was a, a, a Greek scholar, put out his uh, New Testament uh, studies on, on the Greek. He was a Southern Baptist back in whenever, I don't remember, 40s, 50s. But anyway, he, he says... Um, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. How crude may have been the robber's messianic ideas. Um, how, I'm sorry. However crude may have been the robber's messianic ideas, Jesus clears the path for him. He promises, he promises him immediate and conscious fellowship after death with Christ in paradise, which is a Persian word and is used here not for any supposed intermediate state, but the very bliss of heaven itself. This Persian word was used for an enclosed park or pleasure 
ground. The word occurs in two other passages in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12.4, Revelation 2.7. I shared this with Luke, not this particular note, but I was reading the, the material from First Fruits of Zion, which again, a disclaimer, I'm not following them anymore, but I have the original material they put out. And, and they were talking about this thing of paradise and how Jewish be believers or Jewish scholars equate this idea of paradise with the Garden of Eden. So, and there's others that I wrote that equate it with a park or a paradise or the Garden of Eden. To me, I absolutely love that concept of today you will be with me in the Garden of Eden. Now, this won't probably do anything for you like it did for me, but my wife will understand. I struggle with things like, oh man, if I go to heaven, I'm not going to be able to live with my wife. That sucks. Why bother going? You know, <laughs> I want to go to heaven and live with my wife. Or I, I, I get thinking like, walk on streets of gold? Okay, that's cool. If, if it, they really are streets of gold, 119 Ministries, I don't know if you ever watched it, they talk about the streets of gold and the gold and all the colors. It's pretty uh, interesting, actually. But I don't want to go live in a city for all eternity. That's my childlike thinking. You know, I, I want to go, I want to live at the cottage, the, either one of the two cottages that I grew up in a, as a kid. You know, I, I want to, I don't, I want to, anyway, without going into all this, I was just so comforted by the fact of mentally picturing that when I die, I'm going to wake up in the Garden of Eden. Cool or not, I love that. I, I'd like to know, I need to know these sort of things. And whether this is accurate or not, I don't know. But I thought it was interesting, A.T. Robertson talks about how this is a word for enclosed park or pleasure ground. So today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And this guy on the cross knew exactly what Yeshua was saying. You know, he's not leaving them in the dark. He could have explained it a whole lot better. But in just one brief statement of time, he gives them the fact that you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, what's the guy, the guy on the other side thinking? Well, what about me? What about me? Where am I going to be? You know, <laughs> well, he's not going to be in paradise. You know, that's how I have to view the thing. I mean, they're, they're right there. They can hear each other they're having a conversation. Shut up. We're guilty. Well, you know, hey, yeah, if you are the Messiah. So there's this, this conversation going on. Now, this poor guy over here that's railing on Yeshua finds out, hey, I'm getting left out. I, what about me? What about me? Well, going to be in paradise. I, don't know, I, I just love that. All right. Now, let's continue on. Verse 46. And when Yeshua had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So this is past my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What I found interesting, a little bit of word study, it says, and when, he, when Yeshua uh, had cried with a loud voice, those two words, the word loud is the word megas, like mega. The word voice is phone. So you put them together, he literally, you could say, and this is true, I'm not joking, uh, and he cried with a megaphone. It was that loud. Now that got me to thinking, because I don't know about you, but I wonder how, how could Yeshua talk to three, four, five thousand people and be heard? You know, I've mentioned this sort of before in the past. He must have had like the voice of a George Whitfield or the voice of the boss that I worked with that he could talk almost a normal tone and you could hear him throughout the whole warehouse. Something about how it projected. Can you imagine, you know, 
He, if, if you take a megaphone you, and, and you understand in that setting what a, what a megaphone does, it amplifies how many times beyond what a normal voice would be. Now, here you have Yeshua on the cross and he cries with a megaphone saying, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Everybody heard it. The shock factor must have been incredible. They're not expecting to hear that. This guy is being crucified. He's weak, but yet he's got this voice like a megaphone crying out to his father. The one last witness, really, that he's going to give to his relationship with God, his father, and he's a son and he's deity. And final on the cross. And then it says, and, and he gave up the ghost. Now, I've been by at least one, I'm trying to think if there's been more people when they die. What this is talking about, if you've seen anybody die, it, it, that last, and it's over, if you've been there. You know, they're alive, they're alive, and it's the one, the one time that I can remain very clearly in our church in, in Milford, I was there with the mother and her son's dying of cancer in the house on the bed, and his eyes have been closed the whole time, with it. and then he, they open up. And he looks around and then that's what happened at the cross. When it says he gave up the ghost, it's that last breath when you know the person is actually gone. It's final. It's over. So his last thing before his last breath is with this megaphone voice crying out to God. And once again, he draws everybody's attention to his heavenly father. Now, that had an impact. 47. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, for some reason, he got it. Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to the site, beholding the things which were done, they smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. So verse 50, and behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. He was a member of the Sanhedrin and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the council indeed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went into Pilate and begged the body of Yeshua. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in a stone, wherein never man before was laid. Now, I didn't look into what I'm going to tell you, but this is just my thought. I've never thought of it this way, and I don't know if the other Gospels portray it this way, but to me, to me, I get the picture of Joseph of Arimathea, verse 53. He took down the body, and he wrapped it in linen, and he laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in a stone wherever, where, wherein never man before was born. I just think that's incredible if, that, if I'm seeing it correctly. I mean, you know, to be, uh, I, I don't know. I get so emotionally involved in what I think I picture in Scripture. But I mean, I, I just, what must of that have been like? What was that moment like? You know, and this is a guy, a member of a Sanhedrin, and he didn't cast his vote with the rest of them. He's kind of already an outcast, and he and Joseph, uh, uh, not Joseph, 
Nicodemus are involved in, in this whole thing. We find out in, in the other scriptures that, that Nicodemus is involved as well. I mean, these are two guys that are really out there at the moment right now, putting their necks on the line. Um, Morris uh, had an interesting note on this scene uh, in Matthew 27, 60, where it talks about um, and wrapped it in and, and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in a stone. And Matthew says uh, his own new tomb it says there. Morris says in his study Bible, there's more here than meets the eye. Joseph, because we're in Matthew now, Joseph was a rich man who lived in Arimathea and um, uh, and here also as well. Joseph was a rich man who lived in Arimathea. So why would he build a new tomb in Jerusalem, especially one in the rock on a hillside close to Golgotha with an earshot of the cries of the crucified criminals? It could hardly have been planned for himself. All indications point to this. Sorry. All indications point to his having prepared it ahead of time to receive the body of Jesus. No, I never would have thought of that. I just think that's really cool. Joseph of Arimathea, he's getting it evidently earlier than a lot, and he doesn't build this new tomb for himself. And why would he build a tomb for himself in a rock on a hillside close to Golgotha within easy earshot of the cries of crucified criminals. It could hardly have been planned for himself. He prepared it to receive the body of Yeshua. And, and I just love that. I love, I never would have thought of it and seen it like that, but he's personally involved and invested in what's going on at these final moments when it's all coming to an end. And he's a guy that saw it when a lot of others didn't. All right, so Continuing on, verse 54. And that day was a preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after, and beheld the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now, I've said it before again. This is one of those verses that I just kept stumbling over all those years prior to where I am now. You know, my, I say it this way, but this is how I think it. Did these poor schmucks not get the memo? Don't they know? What are you doing? Jesus died. The Sabbath is over and done away with. But yet you have this, and it's not contested. It's not explained, well, these poor guys, they didn't get it right yet, but we know it'll be changed later. As I said on one of my blogs, when it comes to the, to the Sabbath, there's no indication from the words of Yeshua, veiled or otherwise, that the Sabbath is going to be done away with and replaced with Sunday. Now, I, I found a couple good notes, and, and I, I didn't realize, well, let me read it, and, and then I'll tell you, I, I didn't realize. Uh, anyway, let me just read. All right, so uh, Gill, I like John Gill. He's very good, but he's, you know, a long, long time ago. He's Christian. So he says, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment in Exodus 28. Here it is. Not knowing as yet the abolition of it, with the rest of the ceremonial law. Just, you know, just a walk in the park here. Rested, they rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment in Exodus 20, verse 8, not knowing as yet the abolition of the Sabbath with the rest of the ceremonial law. 
And therefore, though they had bought and prepared the spices and, and, and ointments, they did not carry them to the sepulcher to anoint the body with them till the Sabbath was over, for this was forbidden to be done on the Sabbath day. But, I don't know, the arrogance, I think. They didn't know yet that the Sabbath was going to be abolished with the rest of the ceremonial law. We can excuse them for this right now. <laughs> they're, they're ignorant. Now, the Pope Commentary, which has been around forever, they have one sentence that they quote from a, a fe another theologian named Godet. And he, just matter of fact, and rest of the Sabbath day according to the commandment, Godet, it was the last Sabbath of the old covenant. It was scrupulously, therefore, respected. Now, I don't know about you, but I had thought along my journey, if the Sabbath is over, when was that last Sabbath? Finally, I have my answer. <laughs> this is it. I just told this is the last Sabbath. Over and done with. Ceremonial laws, Sabbath over and done with. This is the last Sabbath of the Old Covenant. They're really not seeing it, right? But neither did we for a while. But the perpetuation of this error for centuries is staggering, really. It's just, to me, staggering that we so cavalierly accept stuff. How is it we don't see? How is it we didn't see? How is it that others don't see what is right before us in the Scriptures? Well, God has to open our eyes. All right, so continue on, 24. So now... Um, I won't say a whole lot through here until I want to get to the guys on the road to Emmaus. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Yeshua. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them, in shining garments. Now this word for shining garments, it's, it, it, it means to flash as lightning. So I don't know how this happened, but these two angels show up and it says they behold them like flashes of lightning. <laughs> See, I love the, the drama and the dynamics of it. You have Yeshua with this megaphone on the cross crying out. And I never saw it that way before. He just cries out, and I'm thinking this loud enough for everybody in the auditorium here. Then you have th these two, they're much perplexed. And behold, two men stood by them in flashing like lightning. This is, this is extraordinary. It's catching their attention. So, then it goes on and says, verse 5, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces, sure, it's like driving this morning to congregation when you had the bright light facing you and the, and the, the road is, is, the sun's hitting the wet road, you're almost blinded. You have to look away from it or put on your sunglasses that reflect the glare. Well, this is what I think is going on here. It's why they're bowed down. They're afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, 
Why seek ye to live in the, among the dead? He's not here, but, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. He's trying to get them to remember this. And so they do. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, out of whom was cast seven demons, and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words, see, they're not seeing it. They're still not getting it. And their words seemed to them as idle tales. I saw that this... Uh, in, the, in the Latin translation, it's, it's translated as delusional. And, 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 and I think that's interesting. So their words seemed to them like they were delusional, saying all this stuff. Another word is, for this is, is twaddle or twaddle. It's like babbling. It's incoherent nonsense. I mean, they come back, they're saying this stuff, they're probably so excited and, and it appears to, to these people, they're delusional. They're beyond themselves. They're irrational. What are they thinking? How could they be like this? But then arose, verse 12, Peter. He's, he's getting it, maybe. And ran unto the sepulcher and stooping down. He beheld the linen, linen cloths laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Now, this is, that was kind of all preview, <laughs> preface to this, but I, I do want to focus on this a little bit. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score four furlongs. So it's about seven miles, plus or minus. And one source said it's about a two-hour walk. So these guys now are journeying. They're walking together. They're taking this seven-mile hike two-mile, uh, two-hour journey, talking. And it tells us what they're talking about. And they talked, uh, 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that, while they communed together in reason, Yeshua himself drew near and went with them. Oh, I just, how did this happen? You know, is it like in the sci-fi where somebody's coming, but you can't see, and it's like a blur, and then they start to slowly materialize, and he, he kind of materializes a little bit behind them and, and catches up with them. You know, how did this happen? They're walking along, and then Yeshua, he draws near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And I can't tell you how many, I don't want to say hours, but minutes and, and, and I've spent just meditating on this. They're talking about Yeshua. They're going over the event that transpired. The guy they're talking about draws up to them, walks with them, but their eyes are holden that they do not know or recognize him. Well, how did this happen? Supernaturally? Is, did, is Yeshua keeping their eyes veiled right now because he wants the rest to play out? Is it because their, their, their minds and hearts have already been so blinded because of what they thought was going to be happening? 
what should have been happening and didn't happen when Yeshua came? Is, is do they not see what's right before them because of their preconceived ideas of what Yeshua was supposed to be? That they could not see in reality what he was. They were expecting a political deliverer. And they'll tell us that, and we'll get to it, but they said, we thought he was the one that was going to set us free and redeem us. But on top of that, it's the third day and nothing has happened. They could not see that Yeshua's ministry and purpose was to come and die and, be, and fulfill the scriptures that he's going to have to die as that lamb for the sin of the world. They expected a political deliverer. They were not expecting a spiritual deliverer, a, a one who was going to bring spiritual deliverance because of what is going to unfold in the next 40 plus years throughout the diaspora to this day. So, verse 17, And he said unto them, Yeshua talking, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? Don't you know the things which have come to pass here in these days? And Yeshua said unto them, Well, what things? I love this. What things? And they said unto him. Now this is one of those times, I have to admit, I've thought. Have you ever said something and you didn't think anybody was listening, but you found out they were, and you just want to go crawl in the hole? You might have been talking about them or something, you know, somebody, you know, we've all been there, done that, right? Probably me more than others. You, you think you're only talking to somebody and others hear it and you just want to go now die. Well, th this is one of those instances where they answered. Good thing they answered the way they did because they don't know who they're talking to. <laughs> uh, and they said unto him, and it's all positive, you know, they... What they didn't really say was, anyway, I won't get into what they didn't say, but, and they said, concerning Yeshua of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. See, they're saying good things. Write to him, and they don't know it's him. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Now here's what, here's their preconceived uh, per perceptions of what they thought Yeshua was going to do and didn't. Verse 21, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And on top of that, certain women, delusional, also of our company, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found out his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And on top of that, certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Okay, God, this, I love this dynamic, this drama, this thing that's being played out right now. I mean, it's like, oh, and they don't know it's Yeshua right there with them. Now, this is kind of like what I did last week or the week before. How would you think Yeshua would respond? Guys, I understand. You know what? I could have been clearer in, in making my mission known and what I was really trying to do. It's not your fault you didn't get it. Let me try to just make things help me. To, let me just 
We, you know what, let me tell you it all over again because I know you missed it and it must be because I did a poor job of communicating. Which is what we're led to believe. Really? You guys keep the Sabbath? Well, Yeshua must have been a pretty... I'm getting sidetracked. I'm going real crazy. But, but I love what he says. Then Yeshua says to them, how did I write it? You retarded idiots. That's, that's really, if you want to go into the Greek, that's kind of probably what I say. Oh, fools and slow of heart. That's Lester Roloff talking to me and my brother-in-law. Boys, I told you, I don't have time to sign the Bibles. I gotta get going. All right, we're sorry, we're sorry. Oh, give me the Bibles anyway. He writes down all these verses. If you don't memorize it, this is how he said it, mega voice. If you, because he, he had a mega voice. If you don't memorize these verses, you're either backslidden or mentally retarded. <laughs> Last thing he said to us, <laughs> we skulked away. This is what we're missing, folks. We are so wimped out. Oh, we could have gone home and cried to pass the greens up. Oh, the greens, you know what? Let's roast it. Oh, whoa, oh, oh. And how dare he speak to us this way? That's what would happen today. I, I get on the microphone and the bus and say, Shut up! Ooh, he said, Shut up! Like, that's a bad word, but yet they can sit there and say, F this, F this, and F that. No problem. I say, shut up. Ooh, you know, I can get in trouble for saying, shut up. This is, this is so good. You retarded idiots to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You should have caught this. The Messiah had to suffer these things and enter in his court. No, no. We thought he was the coming deliverer that was going to deliver us from Rome and the oppression. You idiot, you missed it. Because your hearts were not where they should be. Preconceived ideas. And folks, we have to get rid of all our preconceived ideas of what the scripture says. Just throw them all out, even where we are now. If we weren't seeing things before, how dare we think it? Now we got to figure it out. Just like when we were independent fundamental Baptists or going to the Christian church. We had all the answers. We know. Well, Ooh, God sure didn't embarrass us, didn't he? You stupid idiots. How could you be so slow to see what's right there in front of you all this time? That's what he's saying to us. That's my translation. So, oh, cool beyond cool. And beginning at Moses, the law, and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know what's going on? The Torah is expounding the Torah. How cool would it have been to be there? I would have loved to have heard Yeshua, the Torah, explaining the Torah to these guys that were missing what the Torah was saying. You know, God, why, why didn't you transcribe what he said? Well, it's there already, really. You know, it's like I always say about Moses. Why, Moses, didn't you keep a diary so I could know what you were really thinking and feeling those 40 years while you having to take care of those stupid sheep? The Torah is expounding the Torah. You know, that's... that's Pure Torah. Pure. I mean, 
And, and evidently, I gotta be careful here. He did it in the common everyday language that they were talking right then. You know, he didn't say, you know what, you need to learn letter level Hebrew, guys. Pictorials, come on. You know, the pictographs, the this and the ox and the beef and the horn and the house, come on, until you get to understand this, or the Greek, the original Greek. I guess, just, no, brother. Now, he probably was speaking in Aramaic, Aramaic, right? Hebrew, Aramaic. You know, but it was written in Greek. It's interesting, I was listening to somebody, uh, who was this? It was a Messianic guy. Oh, I know, it was Rob and Caleb. Talking about, it was Rob, who was saying how on, on the day of Pentecost, everybody heard the wonderful messages, the wonderful truth in their own language. Which to me, I thought was interesting that they say, because they're big on learning ancient Hebrew and Greek, because otherwise you can't understand it. But on the same side, when you have on Pentecost, everybody heard, God spoke, and everybody heard in their own language, and Oh, you don't speak English. I'm sorry. You only speak what language? I know Hebrew, everybody. I heard it in Hebrew. You know, it, none of that was going on. So he expounded unto them all the scriptures of things concerning himself. So, 28. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. Oh, a note by A.T. Robertson. This was really good. Concerning uh, where he expounded all things concerning himself. This is good. He, he said one sentence. Jesus found himself in the Old Testament. A thing that some modern scholars do not seem able to do. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeshua found himself in the Old Testament. A thing that some modern scholars do not seem able to do. That's how far we've come in Christianity to we're just a mess. This is just a Christian scholar saying, yes, Yeshua is all over the Old Testament. What's happening to our modern scholars whenever this was written, 40s and 30s or whenever? I mean, it, the deterioration process already started. All right, 28. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went into tarry with them, tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed and break and gave it to them. And now what happens? And their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanishes. He just goes away. <laughs> Finally, they get it. They see it and poof, he's gone. He vanishes out of their sight. Beam me up, Scotty. He's gone. And they said one to another, 32, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? You know, I, I wrote my own note. Did not our heart burn within us? To me, this is the internal witness of personal salvation. You've talked to unsaved people where the words of Scripture just might as well be just ink on paper. You know, I can remember when I got saved, all of a sudden this book that I had tried to read when I was a young kid, you know, when I got confirmed in the, in the congregational church, um, came alive. It came alive. 
That was one of the greatest evidences that salvation had really took place. This book, which was dead to me, came alive. And, and I'll say even greater, but even greater than that is 45 years later, this book is, is more alive to me than it's ever been. My heart burns when the Spirit of God expounds to me that which is in the Scriptures. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way? That's, they knew something was up. They knew it internally. Do you? So they rose up the same hour. They had to hike another seven miles, two-hour walk. They probably ran. Because I, you know, they were walking the first time. They're probably just dilly dallying. Now it's like we're hoofing it, guys. <laughs> so they rose the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, "The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon." And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they thus spake, Yeshua himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. He, in Star Trek language, he materialized. He materialized. Now, you know, that got me thinking. This is the reverse of what I'm saying, and this is off track. But wasn't it Al Gore that was holographed, imaged in, and did the presentation somewhere. He was someplace else, but through a holograph, they had him speaking at a meeting. I've seen it, I've watched it on YouTube, where he's standing on a stage, I think it's Al Gore, talking. And it looks like he's right there. He's materialized right there and then. But he's really someplace else. This, don't, don't worry if you don't get any of this, and I'm not even sure where I'm going with this. But the technology that is being... Um, invented and, and, and displayed and, and coming about right now. I can just see how it's all going to play into the mark of the beast, the antichrist, the disillusioning of millions of people, millions of people, because here he materializes and they're blown away. They don't even know what to think. It says, 37, they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. We're back to where he's walking on the water. They think they see a spirit. They're so confused and overwhelmed by this. I can just see how Satan is going to be able to use technology. We already have it. Haven't you ever wondered how the Antichrist and, and the false prophet and the beast are going to have such a sway upon worldwide, the worldwide populace? It's all coming to play. And, and, and when I read this, it's kind of like, to me, this is like a heads up of if, if God's people, when Yeshua pops on the scene right here and they see him, they don't know what to make of it. The world, when the end times and all this happens with the beast, the false prophet and, and antichrist, they're going to be amazed with the signs that he does. He, he's going to do these miraculous signs. They're going to be frightened. Anyway, that's the reverse of what's happening here, but for whatever that's worth. So they were terrified and affrighted and supposed they seen the spirit. And he said unto them, why, again, why are you so troubled? Why are you confused about this in your hearts? Behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones 
as you see me. Now, me being me, my wife might verify this. I, if I was there and he said that to me, I would be the first one up there poking him. He just said to, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm probably where the rest of these guys are. Feel me, touch me, all right. I'd want to know. But they don't, evidently, so he has to give these further signs. So, and when he, 40, and when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, all right, you're not going to touch me, feel me, believe me. Do you have any food here? I'm going to have to eat and show you. You know, it's not like data when he tries to drink some liquid. It all goes spilling out because he's just an android and has no stomach. You know, he said, all right, guys, come on. What do I need to do? Hey, you got anything to eat here? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And they're probably waiting for it to come spilling out somewhere. And he took it in, oh, in 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now, before we get to the next verse, this hit me like it never has before. And what I mean by that? In verse 44, that word fulfilled is the same exact word that is used in Matthew 5.17, where Yeshua says, I came not to destroy the Torah and the prophets, but to fulfill. And for some way, some magical way, Christianity is, somehow flops that around and says, Yeshua is really saying he came to do with the Torah, do away with the, with the law. Which always baffled me because it's like, what's wrong with me? I never saw it that way. All right, now. These, I got a note here somewhere. All right, so, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Torah of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. He's explaining what he said meant in verse 17 of chapter 5. I did not come to do away with, I came to fulfill. And when I said early on, I came not to destroy but to fulfill the Torah and the prophets, I'm telling you now, that's what I meant. I came to fulfill what was in the prophets, Torah and the prophets, because you guys didn't see it. You didn't know I was coming to do this. You thought I was going to be a political deliverer. You misunderstood my mission. I told you early on why I'm here. I'm telling you now, I fulfilled it. I didn't abrogate it. I didn't do away with the Sabbath. Actually, that's secondary to everything. Um, so, Matthew 5.17. This is a good way to have a, a modern interpretation of what Yeshua said in Matthew 5.17. Hey, guys. I'm not the one doing damage to the Torah and the prophets. The religious leaders are. I've come to do damage control. That's what Matthew 5.17 is really saying. Because if you go back and read it, because, and I have recently, months, what I saw now was because of where I'm seeing things now, when Yeshua says, I came not to destroy the Torah, he's saying, I, I'm not the one that's destroying the Torah and the prophets right in front of your very eyes. It's the religious leaders. 
with their oral Torah and how they dismantled what I am, they are the ones that are destroying it. I have come. You're already pushing against it, but I've not come to destroy it. It's those guys. I have come to do damage control. I've come to restore Torah. I've come to fulfill the prophecies. Is that right? That is, now it just seems so simple. That just seems so simple. But we know before, Matthew 5, 17 was a big stumbling stone. But in a context, if you connect 517 with this here, all 517 is saying, I've come to fulfill what you modern day scholars in Yeshua's time can't seem to see. I'm all over the books here. I'm Genesis to Malachi. I'm everywhere in here. You guys can't see it. So, hey, guys, I'm not the one doing damage to the Torah and the prophets. The religious leaders are. I've come to do damage control. Ah. So then, verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And they said unto him, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Messiah to suffer. See, remember whatever verse it was, 21, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today's the day, politically, here he's saying, he's, he's saying, listen now, I've opened your understanding. I've told you in 44, uh, I've fulfilled the Torah. I'm now I'm opening up your understanding. This is what you guys are missing. It's written in the Torah and the prophets. It behooved Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witness of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, 47. I wonder what was going through their mind and, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name among all nations. See, we don't think of it from where they might have been thinking of. Now we, yes, a great commission to all, all creatures, all nations. Well, it had always been confined to the land of Israel, except for the, the, the Babylonian captivity and a few other periods. But basically, it was all confined in the land. It, it was Israel, and the nations would come there. Now he's saying, he's given them another head up. I've opened up the scriptures. You understand it was me. Now you're going to find out more. You guys, and not the too far distant future, 40 years plus, things are really going to be turned upside down. It's going to be to all nations. And you guys, you're, if you think this was hard to grasp, what you've just seen the last three and a half years, you're not going to be able to handle when you guys are scattered. So hang out, hang in there, Jerusalem. I'm going to give you what you are going to need to get prepared so that when the scattering takes place, you're going to have the power you need to be successful and be vigilant and be witnesses for me to the point of dying if you have to. So verse 50, now they all get it. And he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them. Once again, he's parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Like Lester says, Jesus loved his own preaching when he said amen. Luke loved his own preaching. Amen. 
So that's it. I know that was a lot. How long have I gone? I don't know. But anyway, I, you know, I'm looking out here, and I don't know. I'm getting the deer in the headlight looks. I hope I could make some of this come alive, because that's really what I wanted to do today. I'm excited because this stuff that I've read for 45 years, because of coming into this Hebraic mindset and what God is doing in our hearts and minds, to me it's like, wow. This is like finding that uh, fountain down the street where you can fill up your water jug with good water. When we used to ride our motorcycles, I was telling the boys, and we'd get high, and we'd, we'd go. There was this fountain where everybody would come and fill up their water jugs, and we'd drive miles to it just for the fun of it, and we'd get there to drink the water. You know, this, all of a sudden, not poor illustration, but all of a sudden now, to me, this book is like finding that stream on the side of the road trickling with pure clean water that you've driven by how many times and didn't know was there and all of a sudden you start drinking and there's a freshness to it and then a refreshment to it that was never there before that's what's happening to me so anyway that's what i want to try to do i don't know i'm trying to whet our appetites to open up this book on a daily regular basis like you've never read it before and just step back in a time capsule where there's no time and let God just speak to your hearts because I'm telling you I've been in this for days and as I guess you can tell I'm so excited about reading this passage so let's pray father thank you for your word thank you that it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Yeshua said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, we're just starving. We're not living if we're not taking in daily your word. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, thank you. Just work in our hearts. Create within us a hunger for your word. Help us to have what the saints gone by have had that we don't have, like a Lester Roll have had, like a Jonathan Edwards had, to be known as a God-besotted man to where you and your word is everything. Father, convict us, work in us, draw us, open up our eyes, take away the scales, make this book live May it not just be a book that sits around all week. Draw us to it. Help us to see it for what it is. In Yeshua's name, amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Face on the mount of your grace and zeal.